Heavenly Father, truly we thank and praise you for Christ. It is in the power of Christ that we stand before you and with no other plea. It is him and him alone and his work on the cross that was finished for all of us sinners. And God, we praise you for our salvation. Thank you that it is oh, that it has been completed. And thank you, Lord, for the hope of Christ. We ask that as we look to your word now, <clears throat> that you would continue to show us more of Christ and the salvation that we have in him. May you increase in us our understanding of your love. And may you increase in us our response of love for you. Equip us through your word. Help us to be men and women who follow and obey and trust in you. Pray that you would use your word this morning. Cause it to go forth and accomplish your purposes and your people today. That you would minister to each one where they are at, where they're minds are, are wrestling with and struggling through. May you encourage your people and Lord may you be glorified. We ask that you your spirit would fill us and guide us into your truths. Convict us Lord of, of sin even and enable us, equip us to follow and obey you. Lord we commit to you this uh, continued worship service and the preaching of your word, in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Again, good morning, brothers and sisters. If you have your Bibles, please take them and turn with me to the book of Hebrews this morning. Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 13. Hebrews 4, 1 through 13 is where we will be. Today's uh, sermon is entitled, Enter or Entering His Rest, that is God's Rest. And uh, this concept, the idea of rest, is found all throughout the scriptures. Uh, It starts in the Old Testament even. Um, But perhaps most well known to us as Christians is the promise of rest that was read in our call to worship. Matthew eleven twenty eight to thirty, we Jesus spoke these well known words: "Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light." Jesus promises to to all who come to Him. All who are weary and heavy laden, tired, exhausted, burdened with all the weights that come with living in a fallen world, all the wrestling with this sin, and coming to Him, and coming to Him that is by faith, Jesus promises to give you rest. He promises this rest to all, anyone, everyone who comes to him. 
And as we come to him and we begin to follow him, we take his yoke, that is this a symbol of, 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 uh, of service and, and being guide, to allow ourselves to be guided by the Lord, there's a promise of rest for our souls. He promises rest from trying to have to earn your salvation by your good deeds. He promises rest from seeking a righteousness of our own through trying to keep uh, the laws of God or even our own man-made laws. He promises rest from the fears and anxieties that the fallen world bring. And he promises rest from judgment of sin and culminating one day even in our entrance into God's presence for all eternity where we will rest forever. And I hope that as believers in Jesus Christ, many of you here have confidence of this hope that is in Jesus. It is uh, the hope of our salvation, the hope of, it's part of our inheritance as believers in Christ. And I hope that you have a confidence, but it is, I hope you also are aware and sensitive to the fact that you and I are always in danger we are in danger of not entering God's rest as we walk and live in this world. Today's passage warns us of the danger of not entering God's rest. It's a warning, not for unbelievers, but it's a warning for believers. It's a warning for worshipers. Today's passage is really a continuation of last week's sermon, uh, the ex- which would be really began with this, this warning to, uh, to this, the Jewish background believers of the potential of missing out on God's rest. In that beginning, in that passage in, um, in Hebrews 3, we learn that we, of this exposition of Psalm 95, verse 711. That was back in uh, chapter 3, verse 711. We were warned to not be like the wilderness generation who outwardly would have said that they believed, outwardly would have shown that they followed the Lord, outwardly would have confessed that the Lord is their God, but in their hearts and in their deeds eventually reflected in a rebellion and eventually an actual unbelief in the things of God. And as a consequence of their unbelief, God rejected them, God punished them, and they were not allowed to enter into God's rest, that is, the rest of the promised land. And we see in that warning a universal truth, a universal truth that still stands today. This universal truth is that those who rebel against God out of unbelief will not enter God's promised rest. You rebel against God. You may say all you want about what you believe. You may uh, do all sorts of things in life. But if you rebel against God out of unbelief, you will not enter God's promised rest. And for these Jewish Christians, uh, recipients of this letter of Hebrews, they were actually, they were in danger of missing out on God's rest. They were actually considering forsaking Jesus and returning to the Old Testament ways. Hebrews was written to them as a warning. 
And it's an encouragement, an exhortation to encourage these believers, they were professing believers in Christ, to hold fast to Jesus. Because Christ is better than whatever they may choose to forsake him for. And it is encouraging for you and me today, we who have the hope of rest in Jesus Christ, I, I believe, I'm, I would imagine that most of you have that hope, to be aware of the danger that exists even as we profess faith in Christ. And this morning, as we look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, we're going to see three truths, three truths that encourage believers not to fail to enter God's rest. Three truths that encourage believers to not fail to enter God's rest. Uh, We're going to see that each of these truths are marked off by the conjunction therefore in this passage. So just kind of look wherever you see the word therefore. That's going to be an indication of a new new point. Okay, so that's what we see here in chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Well, the first truth that we're going to see in this passage that encourages believers like you and me to not fail to enter God's rest. And we find that in verses 1 to 5. That is, this first truth of the fearful failure to enter his rest. The fearful failure to enter his rest. Verses 1 to 5, let's read. Therefore let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my wrath, my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, They shall not enter my rest. You see here, at least uh, t- two times, we see this a, the Old Testament ref- uh, quotation again from Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. So this is a continuation, really, of uh, the previous uh, chapter. But the, what we find here is that um, this warning uh, from the author of Hebrews in relation to the wilderness generation. Since the wilderness generation of Israel, if you recall, uh, recounted in Numbers, since they failed to enter God's rest because of their unbelief, that's what we see, that's what we saw in th- chapter 3, verses 7 all the way to 19. Because, because of that, there should be, we should have a healthy fear. A healthy fear among believers in every generation that we too might fail to enter God's rest. Notice that the author includes himself in this exhortation. Let us fear. It's first person plural. Let us fear. It's not make sure you should fear, he says, but he says let us fear. This isn't just then for these Hebrew Christians, the recipients of the letter who are weak or, or, being, or tempted to be wayward. This is an encouragement for all Christians. The specific warning is that we should fear that any one of us 
may seem to have come short of God's rest. There's a, a fear here that we should have corporately. Let us fear that any one of us may s- seem to have come short of entering God's rest. Remember uh, last week we saw the importance of, the, of a corporate response to encourage one another, to look out for one another because of the danger uh, and the, of, of the deceitfulness of sin. Here there's an encouragement for us to, let's, let's be fearful that any one of us, it's not just that be fearful that I myself may not enter as God's rest, we should have a, a fear, a, a healthy fear that any one of us, I should have a fear that you may not enter God's rest or you may not enter God's rest. We have this concern and care that we're, we're in this together. We don't want, and we're all traveling in this, like the, the <coughs> Israelites wandering in the wilderness. We don't want to lose a single one. All of us who profess faith in Christ, we, we want to make sure that none of us seem to have come short of it, of God's rest. Who would want to go all the way and then fall short of God's rest? Who would want to train for running a marathon, then start running that race, and then stop at mile 26? No one. Who wants to get engaged and you know, give the ring and get the ring, plan the whole wedding, have the wedding day, get to the altar, and then not say, I do? Who wants to fall short of entering God's rest? If you have believed in Jesus Christ, no one should want to believe in Jesus, worship Him, follow Him all your days, go to church every Sunday for the rest of your life. Get involved, serve in the church, give, donate to the church, give to, uh, give your, go on some missions trips even. And then at the end of your life, having found yourself somehow falling short of entering God's rest, that would be a fearful thing, a terrible thing, a wasteful thing. Now this fear ought not to be an overwhelming, paralyzing kind of fear. This fear is, a, is an energizing type fear. It's a healthy fear, as I've said, that should provoke us to take some precautions against this certain danger. Even, for example, yesterday, I have family and I, we went to Golden Gate Park. If you go to Golden Gate Park, you know there's tons of tourists there, and there were. Uh, <clears throat> and you know, where there's tourists, there are always going to be car burglars. And so I was afraid that my car would get broken into. Now, what did I do? Did I just leave my laptop in there, my cell phone in there? No, I took precautions. I made sure there was nothing in my car that anyone would look and say, oh, what's that bag? I'm going to go break in and steal. When you have a healthy fear of some danger, you're going to take some kind of precautions, right? I hope so. Fear is a healthy, energizing kind of fear that provokes us to take precautions against certain dangers. The fear of coming short of God's rest should drive us also to take certain precautions. Now the action that we should take is to make sure, is then to make sure that we truly have believed in the Lord Jesus. Verse 2 is this, gives us, uh, brings this out. <clears throat> it reminds us that we too have had the good news preached to us. Just as they, that is the wilderness generation did, 
the wilderness generation, they had heard the good news. So had the generation of the Hebrew Christians. Uh, they had heard the preaching of the good news to them. But notice the difference between the wilderness generation and the difference between any future generations is that the wilderness generation, when though they heard the word, it did not profit them, it did not help them, it was not useful to them. Because why? Because it was not united by faith in those who heard. That is, it wasn't responded to in faith. It, there was a hearing of God's word, but no faith and trust and belief in God's word. That was absent in this hearing of God's word. That is, they, they lacked genuine faith. What is genuine faith? What is this faith that we have? Because faith is just, you know, sometimes there are several different aspects of faith. But what exactly is this faith that they did not have? Well, first of all, faith is not just hearing God's word, because these people heard God's word. Faith is not just showing up every Sunday and listening to someone preach a sermon. That's not faith. That's just hearing or listening to God's word. The generation had heard God's word. Genuine faith is also not just calling him or confessing him as Lord necessarily. Nor is it saying that you will, and because he's Lord, you're going to do whatever the Lord says. You're going to at least say you do whatever the Lord says. The wilderness generation had promised to do the same. Exodus 19.8, they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. But they didn't. Because they didn't have faith. They came short of God's rest because of unbelief. We saw that already in the previous sermon. They didn't trust the Lord when God brought them all the way to the promised land, showed them the land full of milk and honey, and said, enter into the rest of the promised land. They said, no thank you. They were disobedient. They refused to go in. They, instead, they wanted to go back to Egypt. And so in, the, in their rebellion, in their disobedience, they fell short of entering God's rest. God punished them by causing them to die in the wilderness after 40 years of wandering. They were judged for their disobedience to God's word, but it was their unbelief that led to their disobedience. It was their unbelief that was the difference. And that is what may make a difference in every generation. Genuine faith is trusting, believing in the Lord. That leads to, results in obedience and the following of God's way. Even in the face of adversity, even when there's persecution and suffering as these Hebrew Christians were facing. So therefore this morning, as you sit here and hear God's word, God would have you not to harden your heart. God would will that you would trust in his word, that you would rest yourself in his word, that you would have faith united with the hearing of God's word. Are you hearing God's word united with faith? That you say, I'm gonna, I believe in what is said, I agree with what is said, and I will trust in what is said from God's word. I always love the, the classic evangelism illustration of the chair. 
right? It has a lot of the chair illustration. I think it's a wonderful illustration. You know, I can, a chair, a chair right here in front of me. I see, I want, I can, I can say that it will hold me up, that that, I can just acknowledge that fact. I can agree, yes, I agree that chair will hold me up. But true faith that that chair will hold me up is when I sit in that chair and rest myself in that chair. So it is one thing to say that Jesus died from my sins and saved me. It is one thing to agree that Jesus died from my sins and saved me. But it is saving faith is trusting and resting, putting your full weight, your whole life in Jesus' hands to save you through his death. That is faith. When we hear God's word, we must rest and trust ourselves in it. That is the difference for when we do not have that faith, we find, will find ourselves in danger of falling short of entering God's rest. Many of you come here each week to worship God and hear his word proclaimed, and I'm thankful for you. I thank for the, the heart of God's people here. That's a Bible. But please make sure that you do not merely hear God's word and then walk out these doors not having united your response with a, your, your heart to it with a response of faith. Hear God's word and believe in his word. And believing in his word, how should that reflect, be manifest in how you live? If you hear his word and do not do anything with his word that you hear week in, week out, then you are in danger of falling short of God's rest. Verse 3, we, this, uh, this section continues on. Verse 3 restates this truth. That, that there's a danger of not entering his rest if you don't have faith. And so he restates in verse 3, says, for it is, in verse 3, for we who have believed enter that rest. It is believers in Jesus Christ, true believers who enter God's rest. Then to prove his point, the author quotes again from Psalm 95, verse 11. The wilderness generation's fa- failure to enter God's rest was because of their unbelief. And that is the reason why we need to have faith ourselves, so that we don't fall, fall into their same danger. This rest that God promised to that wilderness generation has been a rest that he has promised to every generation. God's rest is available to the generation of Hebrews in in the, in the New Testament, and God's rest is available to us today to bring home the point that faith is needed. The author quotes from Psalm 95, verse 11 again. They shall not enter my rest. The fact is, uh, God says it twice here, doesn't he? It's, they shall not enter my in verse three, verse five. It's, he wants us to wants the recipients or wants us to kind of hear the danger. You will not enter my rest if you do not have faith. You can hear God's word week in, week out, but if you do not have faith, you shall not enter my rest. You shall not enter my rest if you do not have faith in me, in in Christ. Remember the fearful failure of some, like the wilderness generation, 
to enter, who failed to enter God's rest. And do you make sure that you are not among them? That's number one, point number one, or truth number one. Truth number two, we are encouraged to not fail to enter God's rest is in verse 6 through 10. And this truth is the favorable favorable time to enter his rest. The favorable time to enter his rest. Verses 6 through 10, we read this. Therefore, we see that in conjunction again, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day, today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Here in verse 6, we see that the author summarizes that there is still opportunity to enter God's rest. The wilderness generation had failed to enter because of the disobedience. That came ultimately out from their unbelief. But the present generation of these Hebrew Christians does not have to share that fate. There is still opportunity for them to enter God's rest. The opportunity, according to verse 7, comes today. Today. God has fixed a certain day. That certain day is today. It's whenever you hear his word. That is the day that you have opportunity to respond to God's word. To enter his rest. Interesting, verse 7, just kind of, kind of a side note, is that the, it attributes the quote here from Psalm 95, verse 7 to 8, to David. And when you read Psalm 95, you see that there's no quote. It doesn't tell you that it's from David, but this verse here indicates that Psalm 95, verse 7 to 8, or the whole of Psalm 95, is from David himself. And now that's, it's relevant because David lived around 1000 B.C., around 1000 B.C., which was hundreds of years after the wilderness generation had lived. So even in David's day, When the nation of Israel, if you recall, where were they? They were already living in the promised land of Canaan, right? They were already in the the land. God was, at that time, in David's time, warning Israel not to harden their hearts in unbelief and fail to enter God's rest. That even that day, in David's day, there was still this invitation for the people of God to make sure that they don't fail to enter God's rest. And so when you realize that if there's an invitation to enter God's rest and you're, yet you're in the promised land, you, come, you can conclude then that when they enter the promised land, though it is called a place of rest for Israel, the, especially out of Egypt, it is not ultimately the promised rest that God had for them. That God's promised rest, particularly for the nation Israel, is more than just living in the promised land of Canaan. And certainly that is true for us as believers today, that God's promised rest to us is, is not to live in the land of Canaan. 
That's not our promised land. But there is a, a promise that Israel, Israel as well as Gentiles today share in this promise of rest. Even though Joshua did lead Israel into the land, there remained a rest for Israel to enter. There was still a rest that, that was still a, ahead of them in the future that they, would ent- that they would have the opportunity to enter. What is this rest? We really are clued in because of this mention of Joshua. We, will, we learn elsewhere that Joshua is really a, a type of Christ. Joshua is a, is a pointer to Christ. He's a, many of the things in, of his life correlate with Christ. And it's no accident that Joshua's name is the Hebrew version, translation of Jesus, right? You know that. Jesus, in his Hebrew name, would be called Joshua, Yeshua. In Greek, Jesus, Jesus. They're the same. Joshua had led Israel to conquer their enemies and enter the promised land. In fact, Joshua 21.44 states that the Lord gave them rest on every side. Gave them the rest according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. But that still was not God's promised rest, what Joshua did in bringing people into the, Israel into the promised land. What that Joshua could not give, another future Joshua would. That future Joshua, we call him Jesus, came to give a rest that the first Joshua could not. The conclusion stated in verse 9, there therefore remains a, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Though Israel might be in the land, that's, that's not the rest ultimately that is promised. It's part of particularly Israel's rest. But for believers in Christ, that's not our ultimate rest. This idea of a Sabbath rest is only found here. This word is only found here in the New Testament. But it's, it's the, in fact, it's not even the word rest. It's this idea of Sabbath. And, it's, and it draws the Israelites' mind to what God calls for Israel to do on the Sabbath day, that they're to rest. And he, they rest, just as God rested from his work on the seventh day of creation, Israel is to rest. And every time that they rested, really was a, is a pointer to the ultimate rest that they would have. So the Sabbath rest is, is not a physical place because Joshua brought them into the land of Canaan. They were there. Even in David's time, they were there. That's not the rest that is promised. This Sabbath rest that remains for the people of God is a spiritual reality then. It's a spiritual rest. It's promised to all who believe in Jesus. It is a rest from sin and judgment. It is a rest from the worries and anxieties of this world. But ultimately... It is not a rest from things, but it's a rest with our God. It's a rest with the Lord. It comes, it will come fruition when we leave this world, when we die. And because we have believed in Jesus, we trusted in Him, we will, at that point, rest from all our works. We'll, all our works here on earth, we're done. All the works that we're created for in Christ Jesus will be completed. And we will go into God's presence. We'll be with him and we will rest with him from the works that we've done here, we've, we do here on earth.
For there remains this Sabbath rest for the people of God that comes through faith in Jesus. It's through believing in God's word, Jesus Christ. Do you have, I hope you, all of you here as people of God have a confidence or have a hope that you will enter God's rest. If not, then there is no more favorable time to enter God's rest than today. Today, you, you can, if you have not already, you can put your faith in Jesus Christ. You can believe in the Lord Jesus. We've sung today about the, the merit that is ours, the undeserved <coughs> merit that is ours through what Christ did on the cross, that he died in our place. All our sins were, were placed on him on the cross. He took our sins on the cross, but he, through faith, there's this exchange where he gives us his merit, his, his righteousness. And when we receive that righteousness, we may enter into God's presence. When he looks at us, he does not see us in our sin, though he knows we're sinners. He sees his son's righteousness in us. And this is for those, and this is a reality for all who believe in his son. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Today, believe in his word, believe in his son. If, you, if you're not yet a Christian, don't wait, please. Don't wait for tomorrow. Don't wait for next week. Don't wait for later. Today is the favorable time while you are hearing God's word. This is the moment. This is the day to be saved. Every day you put it off is another day closer for you to come short of God's rest. So put your respond today. Today's the favorable day. So the favorable time, God, the favorable time to enter God's rest is today, to respond to God's word today, and even for believers in Jesus Christ, to increase to if you're unsure of your your uh, your confidence in entering God's rest, then today respond to His word. Today look to how you react. And to hear God's word. Don't, do you just hear God's word and walk out? I hope not. But instead you hear God's word and you think about it, meditate. We have questions at the end that we ask every week nowadays to cause you to think about ways that you can apply God's word in your life. These are ways that you can, as you see the law of God being written in your heart and the delight and desire to obey God's word in your life, that is further is fruit from the, from the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, and that encourages you, gives you confidence of your salvation. Well, thirdly, and lastly, our final point today, we are encouraged to not fail to enter God's rest in light of the foolproof guide to enter his rest. The foolproof guide to enter his rest. I think that's the first time I've ever used the word foolproof in my sermon, uh, my sermons, okay, so, but uh, alliteration must reign here. <clears throat> the foolproof guide to enter his rest. Verse 11 through 13 we read, Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, so that no one will fall, fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far, as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Verse 11, again, just like verse, uh, verse 6, it restates the, the main point. Let us make sure, let us be diligent to, that we do not come fall short of, ent- of entering God's rest. Here it's stated more positive. Let's, let's be diligent to enter God's rest. Let's not take God's rest for granted. Okay, let's not to take for granted that, oh, well, I, um, I remember I, I prayed a prayer, I got baptized, you know, and I even gave my testimony before the church. I'm saved. I have confidence in God's rest. No, let's not rest in anything that we've done. Let us rest only in faith, faith in Christ and Christ alone. Prayer does not save you. Prayer, praying to God does not save you. It is faith that saves you. Prayer is a reflection. It's one way that faith may be manifest. Getting baptized does not save you. Getting baptized is a good thing. It's a response of faith. But it's not faith. If you follow the wilderness generation, example of disobedience that comes from unbelief, you will fall. You will, fail, you will fall short of entering God's rest. It's a, it's a, that warning is, is for us today. And that we've, all been, we've all found ourselves, I, I would imagine in our Christian life, that we found ourselves at various times in our life living in sin. Not that you sin, but that you live in sin. That you become engribbed with some sin that you're not willing to give up. You're holding on to it. You are, whatever reason, you, you hold on to that sin and you live in unrepentant sin. There are periods of life. Maybe you didn't even realize it, but there, there's, that period, there's that time where you, you could, were living in sin and then took someone showing it to you. If you're living in unrepentant sin, however, no matter what the sin is, you name the sin, whatever sin, you choose your sin. It could be pride, slander, lust, worldliness, greed, homosexuality, lying, bitterness, adultery, envy, strife. And the list goes on. If you have any such sin and you are unrepentant of it, if you're living in that sin, continuing in that sin, that disobedience may be a reflection of a heart of unbelief. And if you continue in that and do not repent, you are in danger of falling short. For if you know God's word and do not do it, how can you say that you believe and trust in God? James would write, faith without works is dead and useless. Faith without the work of obedience to fall in God's word, right? It's dead, it's useless. So we must therefore be diligent to keep trusting in the Lord and obeying his word. Trust and faith reveals itself in obedience. We must, as this great hymn goes, trust and obey. There is no other way. God has given us his word to guide us in this life of trust and obey, faith and obedience. For God's word is what reveals his will for our lives. Whenever we hear God's word, it's his spirit speaking to us. And how we respond reveals a heart of faith or a heart of unbelief. How we respond to God's word. 
how you are responding right now to God's word is revealing a heart of faith or a heart of unbelief. Verses 12 to 13 of chapter 4. Boy, if you've read, you know your Bible. It's a, these are some well-known verses. Along with 2 Timothy 3.16 and 2 Peter 1, these are, these are among the most significant verses in the New Testament on the subject of the Scriptures. And whereas uh, 2 Timothy 3 and 2 Peter 1 speak of the inspiration and the profitability of Scripture, Hebrews 4.12 and 13 speak of the, the efficacy of Scripture. How effective it is. And we need God's effective word if we're going to be diligent to enter into his rest. We learn about God's word here in these last two verses. This word, this God's word is, is an is a <coughs> unfailing, foolproof guide to, for us to enter into God's rest. First of all, we learn that the scripture is it's a living and active word. That is, it's in contrast to, it's, it's not a dead word. It's not dead. It's not something that just doesn't do anything. It's not passive. It's alive. God's word is alive and it's active. It's dynamic. Why? Because God is alive. And this is God's word. And God's spirit uses his word, as we've seen, to convict us and to change us. God's Spirit dwells within every believer. And whenever he hears God's Word, when we hear God's Word, the Spirit is an opportunity for the Spirit to bring that Word to bear on our lives, to show us who we are, to to do a work in us, to convict us of sin, to cause us to be convicted of of repenting and to go the other way and to be transformed. Every time you and I, we as believers, we read a passage in Scripture, because it is living and active, God uses that word to encourage and strengthen us, to, to change us. You may never think about it, but every day when you eat food, right? That, that food, whatever you eat, no matter how small, it somehow affects your body, doesn't it? For good or bad. And the healthier you eat, it help, the, the healthier you are. And so the word of God is that way. You may not even be quite conscious of it. But when you read God's word, you meditate upon God, you spend time in God's word. It is a living and active thing. It is doing the work of transforming, changing you. I love what Isaiah 55 verse 11 says of God's word. God says, so will my word, which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, or we usually say void, without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. God's word is not an empty word. It's not a, it's not a dead word. It's a word, when he sends it out, it, it, doesn't, it will always do exactly what God wants it to be done. That's why we need preachers of God's word. That's why it's, when you're an evangelist, you, know, you, go out there, you don't have to worry. All you have to do is explain God's word, and God will do the rest of doing the work. of Because whatever he wishes to accomplish through it, he will do. He will, his word will succeed in accomplishing what he desires. If someone doesn't respond to God's word, it's because it's not his desire for them to respond to his God's word at that moment. So often, so often as you read God's word, oh, for God's word is living and active. But we also learn in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that God's word, scripture, is sharp and piercing. These two words, sharp and piercing, shows us that it, it, 
it is a, it, its effectiveness. It's, it cuts through things. It, uh, it, is, it works. You ever uh, have a you know, pair of scissors or maybe a, uh, you know, those utility knives or even just a, cooking, a cutting knife? If it's, if it's not sharp, right, after a while it gets dull, you go grab it and you, you start trying to cut something or cut something with it, you know, it's, this is, it's not doing anything it, because it's dull. It's not effective. You just throw him, you might want to change the blade. You're sharpening the blade. But God's word is sharp and piercing. It's always effective. It always cuts as it deeds. It can cut into things. It will be able to accomplish exactly that which is purpose to do. And what is the purpose to do? It's sharp and piercing because ultimately it reveals our hearts. As we hear it, it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So often we, we, when we read God's word or hear a sermon from God's word, what, what happens in that, you know? You ever sit there and then you realize, wow, that, that word's for me. That, it's like God's word is, is, I'm going through something, and that, that word, that message, that radio program, what I heard, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Have you had that experience? Oh, boy, I hope so. I sure hope so. Because that is God knowing you knowing your heart, and God's Spirit knowing that. And when He takes His Word, He gives it to you so that you will hear exactly, and He helps you to hear exactly what you need to hear at that moment. It's not because I know your heart. And he's ever said, why does Pastor Henry know? I, I don't know. I have no idea. I'm usually the last to know. But God knows your heart. And when, you, when, preach, when the Word of God's Word is preached, or you hear God's Word, God knows and He wants you to hear His Word and respond to it. James calls the word, like, describes the word like a mirror. Because like a mirror, it shows you who you are. It shows you for who you are. I love that picture. And God, through his word, shows, shows you what kind of person you are through his word. And so, and, and, and naturally, when you see yourself in light of God's word, just like when you look in the mirror, you see who you are. Oh, what do you do? You say, oh, man, oh, fix my hair, you know. Oh, tighten that tie. You don't look in the mirror, you're not going to realize, you're not going to do anything about it. And that's what God's word is. It's like a mirror. It's like, oh, I have sin. I'm, I'm going to take care of that sin. I'm going to try to straighten out that sin. I'm going to repent of that sin. I'm going to try to figure that out. I'm going to resolve it. It's, that's what God's word does. It's sharp and piercing. It, it's effective to show us exactly who we are our thoughts, our, our intentions of our heart, and then cause us, because of the Spirit of God is in us, to desire to change and be transformed, be more like Christ. Verse 13 tells us that God knows everything about everyone, every creature. He knows you and me. He knows us better than we know ourselves, right? For it is very possible that some of us here are self-deceived even, thinking that we're saved when we're not. But God knows. God knows each of our hearts, God, you, and God will use his word to show us who we are. He will use his word to show us the condition of our heart and our soul, and he will show us how we can be transformed through believing in his son. When God shows you where you are, you will respond you will respond if you, are, if you have faith. If you don't respond, 
if you heart, if it, hearing the God's word hardens you in your sin, you want it even more, then eventually what's going to show is, is that reveals that you don't really just don't have faith at all. You have a heart of unbelief. And eventually you will just leave because God's rest is not what you're seeking. For those of us who already believe, then God's word will show us how sinful we are. You know, hopefully you never go to the God's Word and you're not there. Well, when we were younger, we used to do this. I used to say, oh, I'd go through the Word. I was like the rich young ruler. Oh, yeah, I've kept that. And I've kept that. Oh, I've kept that one too, you know? You're, you know? But though, as I get older, then when I read God's Word, it's like, oh, no, I fall short there. Oh, man, I fall short there. Oh, man, I fall short here. How much more I need Jesus. How much more I need God's Word. I'm trusting and trusting in Christ, his righteousness provided for me. For those of us who already believe, when we hear God's word, we begin to see how sinful we are, but we also see how gracious is our God, and we see how great is our Savior. And our response and desire is that we would trust in him more and obey in him. Obey his word more. Hopefully that's your response as you hear God's word. When Jesus promised rest to those who come to him in Matthew 11, you'll notice there that Jesus had quoted from an Old Testament passage. Jesus had quoted from Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, the prophet who warned Israel of the coming destruction because of their sin. And the words from the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet to the nation of Israel are a fitting final exhortation for God's people, you and me, to examine our faith in the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16 through 19 God says these words, Thus says the Lord, Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. There's the promise, right? Ask for the ancient paths. That's another, in the ancient ways. That is God's way. And where is God's way revealed? It's in God's word. Stand by those things. Ask for it. Seek God's word. Walk in God's word. And you will find rest for your souls. This is the promise. But they said, we will not walk in it. And I set a watchman over you saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not listen. Watchmen were those who were to warn people when danger was coming. And they would blow the trumpets when danger were coming. And they, but Israel would responded, just as they responded, not, they did not want to walk in God's word. But they also refused to listen when God sent the watchman to warn them. The consequence then is verse 18 and 19. Therefore, hear, O nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I am bringing disaster on this people, the fruit of their plans, because they have not listened to my words. As for my law, they have rejected it also. That God's rest will not come to those who disobey who refuse to walk in God's ways, 
who refused and who refused to listen to his warnings when he sends his messengers to warn them. And that's why his Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians because of their unbelief and disobedience. That warning continues throughout every generation. There is a there is a calling from God to, for God's people to not to when you hear His word to not harden your hearts, but to trust in the Lord even more and obey His word. As you've heard God's word this morning, will you walk in it? As you've heard God's warning this morning, will you listen to it? For the danger is real. If you are hearing God's word and you do not respond in obedience, do not respond in desire to obey, in making in some change in our lives, in our attitudes, then you, brothers and sisters, you can profess your faith in Christ all you wish, but you are in danger of falling short of entering God's rest. But it is not too late. For today is the day as you hear God's word, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you believe in him? Will you come to him and enter his rest, the rest that he offers? Let me end with just a couple questions just for us to, uh, to think about, meditate upon as we this week. In light of God's word, when you hear his word, ask yourself, how do you see evidences of faith in your response? Right? We hear God's word all the time, but is it united with faith? Are we somehow believing it? Yes, we're believing it. If we believe it, then how does it change us? What, what happens in our mind and our lives that reflect faith when we hear God's word? Secondly, how can you respond today to God's word? Whenever we hear God's word, today is the day we should respond. How do we hear? And second, thirdly, lastly, what thoughts and intentions of your heart is God revealing with his word today for you? God knows you. He gave this message for you. There's something in it he wants you to know about yourself as you look in it. That perhaps you want to change, you may need to change. And so I pray that all of us today would walk here, myself included, having heard God's word, to not harden our hearts, but to hear, so that we may respond with faith that we would not fall short. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for these truths. And God, may you continue to do your work of convicting us of sin, of right of our need for righteousness, and the judgment for those who do not believe. Thank you, Father, that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the vision of soul and spirit. Lord, we thank you and praise you that your word is effective. And as it has been read and proclaimed, Lord, we pray that your spirit would take your word and do a work in each of our hearts. Lord, cause us to unite our hearing of the word with faith, that we would respond, that we would be changed, would be transformed, convicted, challenged, encouraged, strengthened, motivated, inspired. 
that we would live in light of your word as your people. For Father, we believe in Christ. We who believe in Jesus Christ, we are, are we, our trust is in him. Our trust is in his word. Help us, Lord, to increase our faith in, in Christ and the word of Christ, which you give to us, we pray. Lord, guard us from the danger. Give us a fearful, healthy fear of hearing God's word and not responding in the way we ought. We pray that you would help us to be faithful until you bring us home to enter into the rest that is with you through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.